one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello there, the Premier League is back and so is the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Madderface and the former Benfica and Chelsea left-back Scott Minto. Also here is the TalkSport football correspondent, Alex Crook. Hello. Hello. What a weekend, double derby delight as North London clash and Manchester merges. Also this week, Potter takes Chelsea to the Palace, Leicester and Forest battle it out of the basement and West Ham and Wolves try to ensure they don't produce the most boring game in Premier League history. From TalkSport, this is the Game Day podcast. Hello, one and all. Scott Minto, anything sore um, where you are? Have you got any sore limbs or anything like that? Uh, the only reason I ask is that Crook is usually injured. He's back on the intensive fitness regime now, uh, which means running until the hamstrings snap. Um, how are you feeling? Have you, are you okay? Sam, funny you say that. I, um, I went, as you well know, to Malaysia to do some Premier League stuff uh, yes. last a week or so ago. And they said to me on the first day, did you bring your trainers? football trainers and I said no why said oh don't worry don't worry just that we play on a Monday I went look give me a pair of trainers I've got a t-shirt and shorts and I'll play but it's the second time in a decade I've kicked a ball wow so we did a bit of I think they call it futsal now we used to call it five aside um and I was aching for three days afterwards (laughs) no warm up no warm down but it was really good fun and I've got to do it more crook um how is the uh, the running going yeah, the running's fine. I've, I've picked up a cold, which is annoying me. But apart from that, I yeah, all, all good. But actually, I played football with the kids on Monday night and uh, my back was aching for about three days. So I can <laughs> I can relate to Scott's pain. Okay. Uh, apparently, according to a report published by Howden's European Football Index uh, this week, Chelsea had the most injuries in the Premier League last season. 97 separate injuries. Uh, United was second with 81. So significantly, Chelsea were more affected than anybody else. Um, Scott, how much does that account for them finishing 19 points off the top? Well, yeah, I think it does. But I mean, the the bigger thing there is that Liverpool played in every single game possible, um, weren't near the top. So they had 80. Yeah, they had 17 less injuries than Chelsea. Absolutely. So they, you know, obviously I I can't speak on how Liverpool are managing their their players versus how Chelsea are managing their players. But it's, it's pretty simple in Sam in terms of the two things I pick up from is one, more games don't necessarily mean more injuries because of Liverpool. Um, but two, if you do have more injuries, it's quite obvious your, your best players, if they're out, you, you're not going to perform as, as well as you want I over suppose, the season. I suppose one of the, the things to point out there is, is that Liverpool had bad injuries the season before 
and a lot of injuries at the start of this campaign. So maybe actually it's a, over a longer period we should probably look at it. But uh, yeah, I thought it was quite interesting. Um, right, no one is uh, crying off this weekend unless they have to because it's Derby weekend on TalkSport. It is one of English football's iconic fixtures. Trush Thierry Henry to have a say on Derby Day. Red against white. Oh, it's hit the post and Lennon has equalised. Arsenal against Tottenham, a North London derby. Obviously seeing the table and, and where you are and where you want to continue to be, it's, it's always important in terms of belief, it's helpful. Arsenal is a, is a really good team. For sure we have a, a path in front of us, uh, very difficult. Jesus with a header, what back a across the face of goal to score Arsenal's second. And that was a beautifully crafted Arsenal goal. Are the Tyson contenders? No. Will they get in the top four? They've got an outside chance of that. Tottenham Hotspur take the lead. Another landmark goal for Harry Kane. The sky is the limit. They've got the capabilities. A century of history and tradition makes this game what it is. This is the North London derby. Arsenal against Tottenham, 12.30, live on Talk Sport this Saturday. It's been a long time since these two were amongst the top teams in the country, but they open the weekend. First and third, Arsenal 18 points from 21. The best counter-attacking team in the league against the side most vulnerable uh, to counter-attacks. Is that fair? Not quite, maybe. But that is likely to be Spurs' approach in this game, Scott. Can Arsenal deal with it? Yeah, look, the first thing I, I, I want to say is I, with all these games that we're going to be talking about, immediately after an international weekend, it's most difficult to call what's going to happen because of injuries, of travelling, to some players have played two or three games. So it, it's it's not as simple as, you, as it would normally be. Th- this is a massive game for both teams. I, I think even bigger for Arsenal because everyone's wax lyrical and rightly so. It's been a magnificent start and... I actually think they were the better side against United, but but United schooled them, in, you know, in, and they were a little bit naive um, in losing that game. But yeah, you, you've got an Arsenal side who are a bit like City. You know, Arteta's been learned under Pep. We're going to play Plan A, and if Plan A doesn't work, we Plan B is do Plan A better. So it, that's the way it's going to go. It's interesting in terms of I'm not really one for stats. Um, going further back as to, oh, well, they haven't won in 10 games here and this type of thing. But it is interesting about how the home team in this fixture seems to get the better uh, both ways. And that tells me that the players are thinking in their minds, this is one game we cannot afford to lose out of the whole season. So I think the way Arsenal are playing, if I were a Spurs fan right now, I'd take a draw. Um, but it, it, that's exactly how it's going to be. Arsenal will have all the possession. Spurs will sit back and counter-attack when they possibly can, and we'll see which team comes out on top. But it's it, it's about tiredness after the international break. Yeah, injuries to Partey and Tomiyasu. They both came back from uh, international break early. Apparently, they will be okay to be involved. Tierney came off against Ireland, should be fit for Arsenal. Erdegaard looks to have recovered from his ailments. Zinchenko's calf looks to have healed as well. So they might have a a, a better complement of of uh, squad than they did against Brentford when they were absolutely superb. 
Um, mm. Spurs have won just one of their last 14 Premier League London derbies away from home, which backs up what you were saying, Scott, about the home team usually faring well in this fixture and in other London derbies as well. And Arsenal did bounce back well from defeat at Manchester United, a brilliant performance at Brentford, but Spurs will be buoyed by their last 20 minutes crook against Leicester. Yeah, but Leicester were poor. So uh, I think we have to factor that into the equation as well as Tottenham played. I still don't think we've seen the best of Spurs on a consistent basis. I do wonder if the, if the rumours um, coming out of Italy that maybe Antonio Conte uh, has his heart set possibly on a move away from North London could have a bearing as well. But I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's a great game to start the weekend. Live and exclusive on Talk Sport. As Scott says, usually the home team comes out on top. I think it's the last 16 North London derbies that have been won by the home side. Uh, that is an incredible stat. If it's not true, blame Darren Ambrose. <laughs> Arsenal are in a good place right now. And you, and you mentioned the, the fact that they're getting those key players back from injury as well. Obviously, the likes of Gabriel Jesus wasn't called up by Brazil, so he should be fully fit. Yep. I make Arsenal favourites, but I think it's going to be a really intriguing battle. If Arsenal do win the game, I think we have to start taking them seriously. None of the Gabriels got called up, by the way, for international duty. So Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel, the central defender, all of them who started the game against Brentford, got to uh, sit with their feet up over the last couple of weeks. Which I That's think a is dream probably come true for Arsenal, for, Arsenal, for uh, yeah. Mikel Arteta. Absolutely. And can I just say as well, as, as well as Arsenal have done, and they have done superb so far, this is a massive month now for them. You know, they've got Spurs, they've got Liverpool, they've got Leeds away. The City game was postponed, which I, I don't think they'll be unhappy about. And they've also got Chelsea in November as well. So once you get to the World Cup, let's see where Arsenal are and we yeah. can really judge them there. At this moment in time, I'm still thinking if you're off a top four, you take it. But look, in those games, if they have a really good month, then maybe they can look a little bit higher. I don't know if you noticed, Scott, uh, but uh, Crook tried to make a Gabriel gag. Uh, in the uh, last answer, but it was just out of reach. Um, Spurs. Yeah, I, I, I try to just throw it away as, uh, <laughs> as most of its gags, what we do with. Uh, Spurs are <laughs> in good form about being in fine fettle. Uh, Manchester City are the only other unbeaten team in the league this season so far. But you're right to suggest that they haven't really got going yet, have they, Spurs? No, they haven't. Um, and in one way, we'll, we'll use that as a negative. But I, I guess if you're a Tottenham fan, if you're Antonio Conte, you, you'll take it as a positive yeah. and say, this is a team that is still gelling. Wait until we do hit top gear. So um, I, I think it's a big it's a big litmus test for them as well. Um, because apart from the Chelsea game, again, I think like Arsenal, Tottenham's start to the season has been pretty favourable. And let's be honest, they should have lost to Chelsea. If Kai Havertz could finish his dinner, they would have lost to Chelsea. So... They are going to have to raise their game a notch or two. I think the atmosphere is going to be incredible. And I've got to say, watching the, the Amazon documentary, having been to Arsenal a couple of times this season, the atmosphere amongst the Arsenal fans is as good as I can remember it for a long, long time. And I do think Arteta has been very clever in tapping into that. And I think there's a brilliant re relationship between the players and the supporters. That hasn't always been the case. Is, is everyone trusting the process now? Is that, is that, is that what's happening? <laughs> I think we are. It was, that, it was only less than a year ago, wasn't it? Or about a year ago where everyone's saying, well, you know, this is a massive game for, for Arteta. And if you lose, I think it was a Norwich game, wasn't it? Um, yeah, three yeah. in a row. It was the beginning of the yeah, season. Yeah, they won absolutely. one nil. But I mean, just on, just on Spurs and, and Conte in particular, he's one of those where you're waiting for the, yeah, they've got more to come. They're, they're getting good results, more to come. Getting res results, more to come. They don't really play great at, at expanding footballs, expansive football. So 
I think this is a Conte team. They get results. They don't play particularly well. They do the job. They did it under um, under Conte at, at Chelsea as well when they won the title. So this is, I think, Spurs. But as long as they're getting the results, who cares? Uh, Manchester City take on Manchester United 2 o'clock on Sunday as part of the Sunday session. It should be a mismatch. But something about this fixture seems to bring the best out of Manchester United. Crook, they scored in eight of their last nine league and cup visits to the Etihad. Try not to bite your nails too much. What do you think is going to happen here? Listen, I, I'd be foolish to predict anything other than, than a Manchester United defeat. But I think we know how they're going to play. Um, and I think actually the way that Eric Ten Hag has, has set the team up during this winning run in the Premier League probably suits this fixture because they'll expect City uh, to have a lot of the ball. They will try and use the pace of the likes of Anthony and, and, and Marcus Rashford to hit them on the counter-attack. And that was what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did so well in this fixture. I'd be surprised if Pep Guardiola falls for it again, but then <laughs> I thought that regularly under Solskjaer. So I think what United fans want to see from this game is a contest. You know, it's no disgrace losing to this Manchester City side. It's no disgrace uh, losing to uh, Erling Haaland. And it's going to be a real test for that defence, which has been so solid in recent weeks. How do Varane and Martinez in particular come up with a plan to cope with a force of nature that is Haaland? But it, as long as United fans can see effort, they can see endeavour, and they can see that this team are getting closer to Manchester City, I think they'll be happy. If they, if they get a point or even better... I think that would be a bonus at this stage of their development. Um, Haaland has scored 11 goals in his first seven Premier League games, Scott, taking the record of Mickey Quinn from December 1992. Uh, he shares the record for the most goals in his first 10 Premier League games with Quinn, Papis Cisse and Diego Costa. But he's only played seven. Uh, he's got three games to spare to go and nick it for himself. His nine goals in his first five games were also a record, made him the top scorer in August of any Premier League season very difficult to stop him but the city defense can be prodded can be opened up sketch out a way scott where eric ten Hag's team win this match no I, listen i mean first of all on erling Haaland, he's been amazing and i hear people oh he's only going to get better I, well even if he, if he carries this on this record i think that's 53 premier league goals I mean, let's face it, he's not going to get 53. So he is going to hit a bit of a... Don't, a, don't. don't. I said it after, what was it, after about two weeks of the three weeks of the season. We did a Monday night football and uh, I worked out that he was on for 55 Premier League goals. And I said in a recorded package, yeah, but he's not going to get 55 Premier League goals. Two days later, he scored a, a second hat-trick in a row. And I went, wait, well, he might. <laughs> <laughs> let's say if anyone can, he can. But... I'd be very surprised at the end of the season. And I know, Sam and Cricky, I um, I joined you guys five minutes late here today. So, uh, and, and the forfeit Crookie was trying to say, take you guys out for a meal. <laughs> if he gets over 50 goals this season, I will take you guys out for a meal. Oh, he likes okay. that. Crookie likes that. Up these, likes these, that. these meals that were owned by various contributors to the yeah. podcast. Still waiting still for Darren, Darren Lewis, Lewis to pay uh, from a year ago. Yeah. So I'm going to nobble him if he's on 49. I'm going to travel up to Manchester and, and <laughs> do something. No, but look, he, he is incredible. He, 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 he's a freak. And he's, if he carries on those type of stats, then you're talking Messi and Ronaldo type. And, you know, I, I think City are just incredible. Pep will play the same way. Again, we talked about Arteta. This is what Pep does. He's done it from Barcelona. Plan A, plan B is make plan A better. So we know how City are going to play. It's just a question of not being able to stop them. But there have been two teams already that have stopped them in terms of, you know, making sure they've not lost. 
that's United's best bet in terms of getting a, a draw. They're not going to win this game. I'm sorry. The, the, the gap is too much. But Ten Hag will have had time. Okay, not necessarily with the internationals being away as well, but it's been a, a what is it, a month now since they've last played. He's changed the system. He's not playing the, the Ten Hag way. He's wanting to make themselves difficult to beat. So they'll play very similar to Liverpool United. You know, all you've got to try and do... The problem with City is, even if you go 1-0 up against them, or even 2-0 up, they're so good, they can go on and still win the game, which they've done that a few times already this season. Yeah. Keep Haaland outside the box if you possibly can. You're not going to do it for the whole 90 minutes. Hope that he fluffs a few chances. But, but also De Bruyne. I think by the end of... Um, Haaland's career in, in City, the De Bruyne Haaland combination between the two will be up with the very best in the Premier League. So get around De Bruyne and try and keep Haaland outside the box. But it's a very difficult thing to do. Last year when these two met in November, City absolutely battered them, um, even though it was only 2 0. It was a truly dominant performance. And it was pretty much sort of a signal just how impressive Manchester City were going to be between then and the end of the season. United have had been in better form on the road recently they had a tough time away from home last year were brilliant the year before and this year they've just got a little bit back on track Leicester Sheriff Saints all been dispatched without conceding a goal um, but for all we've said and, and, and tried to sort of convince ourselves that this is going to be more of a match than, than maybe many people think it's probably going to end up with three points and a couple of Haaland goals isn't it I mean you have to just accept that well we'll see We'll see. Oh, he's, he's changed his mind. It would be foolish for me to predict anything other than a Manchester City win. At the, uh, that was his first words out of his mouth at the beginning of this preview. And now it's, we'll see. So we, have we convinced you? Have you convinced yourself? Or are you just such a flip-flopper that you can change your mind in three and a half minutes? It, it's the hope that kills you. It's, it's, it's the old it's saying. The above, um, yeah. I'll tell you what, though. If United did get a result from this game, take, take, take away the first couple of games of the season, which were a disaster. Beating Liverpool, beating Arsenal. If they can pick up something against Manchester City, mm. all of a sudden they mean business. It brings United back into this sort of top four. At the moment, I would say there's five and a half teams going for, what, for the what, top four. What, what, what do you mean they mean business? It mean business in what sense, group? What does that mean for Manchester United? In, in terms of challenging for the top four, which I think... Listen, I was at a Q&A with Gary Neville at Hotel Football before the Liverpool game, and he was asked about United and their top four aspirations. And he laughed at the question from a United fan. He said, no chance will United finish in the top four. If they get something against Manchester City, I think you might just have to change that prediction. I wouldn't say no chance. I wouldn't say no chance. And, you know, as I say, he has turned it around Ten Hag. So it's just about plugging away. And if, you, if those results you're talking about, um, Cricky, if they can get something from City here, which again, you know, how to, uh, we know what you have to stop or try to stop City in terms of United. Yeah, make yourselves compact, make yourself organised and then try and hit them on the break as much as possible because City are vulnerable. But uh, I wouldn't rule United out of the top four just yet. But at this moment in time, I would put them sixth. Marcus Rashford not fit still, is he? And as a result of that, that's a real big outlet for Manchester United in terms of pacing behind, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if that's been a hundred percent guarantee, but that would be a big problem because he's been a, a central part of their their game plan this season. You never know if Anthony Martial is going to be fit until the last minute either, because obviously he's an option to come in and replace him. But yeah, I think if Rashford isn't available, that would be a big blow. Uh, Crystal Palace take on Chelsea three p.m. on Saturday. Talk Sport Two. Not sure I'm too confident about this match. Got Arsenal, and Manchester <laughs> City are the only teams to have beaten Palace this season. Um, what are we expecting? I mean, Palace, I, I like Palace and I do think, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing some people sort of questioning Patrick Vieira and I just think, 
my goodness me, you know, it, it's so here and now. And th- this is a guy who I actually think would be Arsenal's next manager. Uh, I was really impressed with him last season, especially in the cup semi-final against Chelsea, where his tactics were absolutely spot on. And in the end, the, the, the better players won the game. Um, it's a tough place to go, Sirhurst. It really is. And with Chelsea, we, we don't know at the moment. We don't know about them. They've got great players. I, I like Graham Potter. I really do. I like what he tried to do with the system, which is still not easy to explain, but it's basically trying to get each player in their best positions or where you can get the best out of them. But you don't know how it's going to go. So this is a really, really tough game for, for Chelsea. And, and yeah, you, you have to go on and win this game if you finish in top four, but it, 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 it won't be easy. And um, We need Aubameyang scoring. I thought it was interesting the formation to play against Salzburg. It's the only game that we've had so far. And if you look at all of the maps, um, they suggest that it was uh, more conventional than actually I thought it was. I, I thought it was... I thought it was a three and a one. And then you had Sterling a little bit further up. So you had sort of Cucurella playing as a sort of left half left back stroke centre back. The other two yeah. playing alongside him. Reese James playing as a wing back, a proper wing back further high up. And then Sterling playing a little bit further on. So it wasn't it wasn't a three, it wasn't a four, it was a three and a half, if that makes any sense. And it was about making sure that you maximise Reese James down that right hand side, maximise Sterling down the left hand side, but didn't give him too much defensive responsibility. And if you look at the average uh, positions of the of the players in the aftermath of that, you can sort of see that. Um, so it will be fascinating to see what happens next with. Uh, Chelsea and how they line up, but Palace, you well know, explained testing... by the way, Sam. I have to say, well explained, well done. Is that what you th- did? You think it was the same? That's how no, I saw I, it. I was there. It was exactly that. It was three at the back. It was Kukureya looking after the left hand side, so Sterling could push on a little bit. He did come back at times and, and quite a lot, but he didn't have to. Mm. Rich James looking after the right hand side. Then it was a diamond in midfield. Mm with Havertz just be a tip of the diamonds and just trying to help Aubameyang. So it was a really interesting and clever formation, I thought. Um, Palace tested Newcastle last time out with nine shots on target and Chelsea have been ropey on the road. Um, Conte's back in training. He wasn't in the France squad, out of contract in the summer. Chelsea going to let him leave, Crook? I got that impression under Thomas Tuchel. Um, I, I think certainly he, I think he got to the stage where maybe he didn't see Conte as a long part of his plans. It will be interesting to see if Graham Potter is of the same belief he'd be a great free transfer for somebody um, next summer that is for sure I think he's a terrific player um, but I, I'm intrigued to see how far Chelsea have come um, obviously again as Scott has already mentioned with, with United Graham Potter won't have had as much opportunity to work with the players because of the international break but he will have had time to formulate a plan and, and maybe tweet one or two things from the opening game their away form is dreadful. I've seen a couple of those away games, actually. I saw them get battered um, against Southampton. Um, I watched the whole of the, the last Champions League away game when they were done by a, a not great Dinamo Zagreb team. So I think the away form is a problem um, and one that Graham Potter is going to have to solve pretty quickly. I still don't know where to pigeonhole Crystal Palace at this moment in time. I don't know what sort of stratosphere they're going to be in this season in terms of are they... Are they looking over their shoulders? Are they one of those teams who maybe could push for the top half? If, if if Zaha stays fit and on form, could they maybe even do better than that and push for the European places? I really don't know. And I think this is a really difficult game to call. And actually, if you look at this weekend, particularly coming off the, the back of an international break, I think most of the fixtures are pretty difficult to give a, a definite prediction one way or another. There's some really tight games this weekend. And I think we will get one or two surprising results. And 
this could maybe one of them, maybe be one of them. I think I've gone for a one-one draw in this game, and uh, I, I, I sort of stand by that on the basis of what you've just said, Mendy. Uh, the Chelsea goalkeeper apparently set to return for his 100th appearance. 49 clean sheets in that period. A knee injury and a terrible run of form has kept him out. That is a position that Chelsea seriously need to make sure is solidified again. Um, right, we've got quite a lot of uh, football to come on TalkSport this weekend. I mentioned the two games on Saturday. Arsenal against Tottenham is 12.30. Crystal Palace, Chelsea, 3pm on Saturday. And then Monday Night Football, Game Night Live, returns with a basement battle. It's Leicester against Nottingham Forest. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Brighton 5, Leicester 2. The referee has ended it and ended Leicester's misery finally here. It's finished at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tottenham 6. Leicester 2, big questions for Brendan Rodgers. He's under immense pressure now. One point from 21, that's not relegation form, that's that's going down form. And at the moment, our, our environment, the stability's not there. You know, we, we've got talented players, but it doesn't count for anything if you're not together. A learning curve for Steve Cooper, yeah, not sure Forest fans really needed to boo them off. Full-time, Forest 2, Bournemouth 3. Deckard over to the dead ball line, pulls it back across. Harrison Reid in space! Bournemouth have scored again! Forest do not know what's hit them! Well, everyone who knows me knows what working for Nottingham Forest means to me and, uh, and how important it is, especially after losing a couple of games. Yes, Monday night is game night. Eight o'clock Monday. We're on air from six. Danny Murphy, Adrian Durham and I live from the King Power Stadium, the 108th meeting between the Foxes and the Forest. Uh, it's a proper basement battle, this, isn't it? As Brendan Rodgers and Steve Cooper vie out as to who can stay in the job the longest, which seems frankly ridiculous, especially in Steve Cooper's case. I think Leicester uh, will uh, go on and win it, though, to be honest with you, Scott, because I think there's more to like about them than their league position suggests. <laughs> You're not sure. Do you know what? You're not no, sure, are you? No, I think just both these two teams are in such a bad place right now um, for different reasons. I think the managers, both managers, are the next two managers to go, and I can't believe I'm saying that about Steve Cooper. The job that he's done is just nothing short of sensational. But he's got an owner who is spending money clearly hand over fist to the point of that where he's saying, I've spent this, therefore equals mid-table plus. 
And it doesn't work like that. He, We know he's trigger happy. We've seen with Olympiacos what he's done as well. Uh, we're there with Carlos Corberan going. I, 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 I feel for Steve. I really do because he's a fantastic coach. But when you bring in 23 new players, and look, they had to bring in a lot because there was a lot on loan and out of contracts and some just weren't good enough. But it's just not as simple as that. With Leicester, I think it's different. You know, the, the, the squad is much better. And you would say, without a doubt, at 11 v 11, Leicester should win this. And and you're right, Sam, I probably would predict a Leicester home win here. But, you know, we, you and I talked on the Sunday session, didn't we, about uh, Brendan Rodgers. And I think his head's gone. I think he wants to go. Um, the comments that he's made, he's ready to go. I think if the compensation package was right, he probably would. And I don't think that would necessarily look good in him for another club, but I would still, I think he's a, he's a really, really good coach. And I would, I would be more than happy to, not that my recommendation means anything, but think that he would do well at another club. I just think his head's gone at Leicester now. Um, but, but 11 v 11, yeah, absolutely. Leicester should win this. Um, Danny Ward is a bit of a problem. His stats are bad. He's conceding more than he should. His post-shot expected goals total, which measures the expected goals based on how the keeper is likely to save a shot, is minus 6.1, which isn't great. Um, they've scored more goals than anybody else in the first half of games, though, Leicester City in the league, despite having the worst record, worse than Derby County um, so far this season. they picked up one point from seven games and they've considered a huge amount of goals. Their XG is 7.2. That's mid-table. Uh, they should have... They've had more shots than Chelsea over the course of the season. So they should be scoring more goals. They should be winning more games, but they're not. No Sionchu, no Vestergaard. We've spoken about that on the Sunday session. We don't understand why you would play in Didi in a defence when you've got those two available uh, as well. Um, for Steve Cooper, one year ago, Nottingham Forest lost 2-0 to Middlesbrough. It was the sixth defeat in seven matches. They're one point from the bottom of the championship. Chris Hewton got sacked. Then in came Steve and the rest is history. The first promotion back to the Premier League in 23 years. Seriously. Seriously. I know they've had four defeats in a row. I know they've thrown away some serious games against Bournemouth and against Fulham. But come on. Come on. This is not a great idea, is it, to sack a manager who's achieved something that nobody else could do in almost quarter of a century. Yeah, but then you're trying to look at it from a rational perspective. And uh, what we know about football club owners, and this run in particular, is that uh, he's not a particularly... Rational character. He sacked Carlos Corbran after six weeks at Olympiacos. So I think if if Forest lose this game, and again, if you're asking me to put my mortgage on it, um, we shouldn't probably talk about mortgage at this moment in time. But I I, I would go for Leicester as well. Um, if you're asking me to pick a winner, and I think that's a big problem for Steve Cooper. I think if they lose the game, there's every chance that he could be relieved of his duties, which, as you say, is crazy when you look at where they've come from when he took over, but you look at the, the nature of the team they're losing to. The only game they won was against West Ham. I commentated that for TalkSport International. They could have lost 4-1. Yeah. You know, they're far too open at the back. I think we're yet to see a cohesive performance from Forrest over the course of 90 minutes. And back to Leicester and Danny Ward, I do wonder if this is the weekend that Brendan Rodgers might just take him out of the firing line, as Bournemouth did with Mark Travers when he conceded nine at Liverpool. And actually, in the case of Travers, not many of those nine, if any, were his fault. But I know there was a feeling that his confidence had been shattered so much. They had no choice but to take him out. The fact Danny Ward has conceded six at Spurs and a lot of those goals did come from his mistakes. 
I wonder if Brendan Rodgers might just take the same course of action as Gary O'Neill. Daniel Everson is the backup goalkeeper, could make uh, a uh, rare appearance in the Premier League, Scott? Uh, just just on both teams, really, you look at the squad that Leicester have and you, you, you say, well, how on earth are they bottom? But with what happened in the summer, with players going, with players looking like they're going, with players looking like they're going, but not going, but wanting to go, with lots of players out of contract come the end of the season... It just doesn't make for a, a, a really conducive atmosphere. And therefore, it's difficult for Brendan then when you've got the manager saying certain things because he's had enough. It's not as simple as saying, look at this squad. They should be higher up. There's an atmosphere and momentum that can build that is very difficult to stop. And when you're talking about Forrest as well, I mean, you know, if I'm one of those players who's come in in the early part of preseason and I'm a new player, and then suddenly someone in my position is coming in through two or three weeks later and is playing in front of me. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? So again, there's no, there's no sort of proper atmosphere here. There's no team spirit building. It's very difficult for both of these managers right now. And that's why they are where they are. Um, I think it's also worth pointing out that with Leicester City, they have lost to Arsenal, top of the table, Chelsea, narrowly, Manchester United, who regained a little bit of form and Spurs in their mm. run of seven fixtures so far. So they haven't had the easiest start to the campaign either. So hopefully for Brendan Rodgers and for Leicester, that things will get slightly easier. Hopefully for Steve Cooper, um, the, the owner doesn't make a ghastly error. He's not a patient man. You mentioned Corberan. He also sacked an Olympiacos manager seven months after they'd won the second of two league championships, the guy had won. He sacked another when, the, when there were seven points clear in March at the top of the table. Um, Pedro Martins was dismissed. I think he won three league championships uh, and then lost to Maccabi Haifa in the Champions League qualifiers. They fired him. Unbelievable. Like, <laughs> stability. Sam, the, long, the, 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 the longer these two teams are down there, especially Forrest, and I'm telling you now, we've got the biggest international break ever, haven't we, with, with the World mm-hmm. Cup coming up. Yeah. They've got a few more games and then if, if they're in similar positions they will do, the, the trigger will be pulled. Uh, Leeds against Aston Villa is 4.30 on Sunday. Leeds have kept a clean sheet in just one of their last 15 home league matches. Can Aston Villa take advantage of that, Crook? Uh, well, again, you know, this is this is flip of a coin territory. Um, I think we can all agree that Aston Villa, despite picking up a much-needed win against Southampton in their last game, and they bored the pants off everybody, weren't particularly impressive. I think Steven Gerrard is still scratching around for a style of play, really. I don't know what Aston Villa are, and I'm not the first person to say that this season. I think their supporters are of a similar belief. Leeds, we were all waxing lyrical about them when they started the season in such fine form, not least without 3-0 victory against Chelsea. But you look at their recent results, they were well beaten at Brentford. They toiled to a draw against Everton, and they lost one then at Brighton as well. So I think we're still... We're still trying to work out where Leeds are going to be this season. It wouldn't surprise me if they were still embroiled in a relegation battle because, as you mentioned, they concede too many goals. Um, and I think eventually that policy of trying to outscore the opposition, if you're a, a club of Leeds status in the food chain, I think that will catch up on you. So this this is quite a big game, actually, for both teams. Yeah, 10 goals scored, 10 goals conceded for Leeds, two games won, two games drawn, two games lost. That screams mid-table to me. Um, what about Aston Villa? They've scored in all but two of their last 10 Premier League away games. Seemingly, I think they are better on the road, aren't they? Yeah, I, I, I think Stevie Gerrard, like Ten Hag, just has to 
find a way to win. That 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 win before the break was absolutely massive. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't care from a Villa point of view, or certainly from a, a Gerard point of view. I don't care how boring it was. And the it City was about, draw as well, which was really important for them. Absolutely, and that 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 came out of nowhere. So that would have given them a lot of confidence because many people going into that game were thinking, well, that could be a, a nine there when they have how bad Villa were playing. So the last couple of games they've made themselves difficult to beat. And, and that's what you've done. I, again, I think I said this to you, Sam, the other day, that Alan Kerbishley had said to me, what Sir Bobby Robson had said to him when they were talking about a manager who had lost six on a spin, play 11 defenders. You know, it, it, the point being, make yourself very, very difficult to beat and keep that clean sheet so you only need to nick one down the other end. If you're conceding one, you need to score two in every game to win. And that's not going to happen. So you make yourself very difficult to beat. You mentioned some very good attacking players there, but how many are playing really well? Uh, yeah, he's got to find his system and and ultimately I think he's got to find his best 11 and say, I'm giving you five or six games, whatever happens. Um, because at the moment, I don't know where they're going to be. You know, Villa should not be near the bottom, but they're not telling me anything other than bottom half at best. Liverpool against uh, Brighton, 3pm start on Saturday. Baptism of fire for Roberto <laughs> Di Zerbi. Uh, is this the second worst possible trip for a new manager, Crook? Probably, um, although I don't think it's as big a baptism of fire this season as it would have been in previous campaigns because we know Liverpool haven't quite been at full throttle yet, but you'll tell me their record at Anfield uh, in the Premier League is still pretty imperious. Um, I, I don't think we can judge too much um, about Deserby Ball, as it's been uh, coined already down in Sussex from this game, because again, he hasn't had a lot of chance to work with the players because of the international break. I don't think it'll be that different, actually from how Brighton would set up um, had Graham Potter still been the manager. But I seem to recall they gave Liverpool a really difficult test at Anfield last season. Did it finish 2-2 between Liverpool and Brighton? Yeah. They're a really um, good team, aren't they, Brighton? We've seen that already this season. Um, yeah, they are. Um, and and I think uh, I think Liverpool have had to do a bit of soul-searching during the international break. Maybe came at a good time for them because, as I say, they've, they've not been their brilliant best so far this season. I think Jurgen Klopp will be expecting a response from his players in this game. But again, if it was a draw, would I be shocked? Not at all. I was um, doing a show the other day and we were doing a thing on uh, big calls and uh, whether or not there was uh, a possibility that Liverpool could not make the top four. It startled me that that was even a question. Um, mm. They've got nine points, so... But they're only in eighth position. They're within striking distance already. Two results and things will turn. They'll be in the top four. Uh, but um, I think we also need to remember that there is a bit more character about this Liverpool side than many people sort of... Recency bias sort of allows you to believe. This is a team that came back to snatch a top four place the season before last, thanks to Alisson's heroics against West Bromwich Albion. They were f making a fist of a title race last year that they should never have been in. They were 14 points back in January, writing Liverpool off, maybe oh, the title, the title might already be beyond them. They're so far behind. But, it is. But the top four, I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's, I would say at the beginning of the season and after Liverpool beat City in the Community Shield, I'd say wash your mouth out with soap and water, Sam. What, what are you talking about? But Arsenal are a very, very good so far this season. Again, we're, I'm just sort of just waiting until the World Cup and see where they are. Um, Chelsea, we don't know about, but you would feel are very strong. Spurs are getting stronger. United, can't say that anything about them at the moment. But Liverpool have been really disappointing. You know, I'm looking at their September results. It's 
Nil nil against Everton, although obviously they, they they had enough chances to win that game. There was the Napoli game, four one. Ajax, where it was it was nervy at the end, and and that's it kind of thing. That that you can't say they're back to their best. So look, I still expect them to finish second at this moment in time. But again, let's look at this month and see how that develops, because they are a million miles away where I thought they'd be, and they're up against a, a Brighton side where. I'm really interested to see how much he tweaks things because normally a manager comes in because a manager's been sacked and therefore results and confidence is really low. Brighton, things couldn't really be any better. So even if you have your own different style, are you going to go in and change things straight away? In this particular game, no. You just try and make yourself, how do we get a point out of Anfield? But going forward, I'm really interested to see how he's going to develop things from, from what was complete success under Potter. Okay, let's get to our final four games of the weekend. Fulham, Newcastle, Southampton, Everton, Bournemouth against Brentford and the humdinger that is West Ham against Wolves. You're out of order. I say humdinger, West Ham, Wolves, but uh, maybe just hummer uh, because (laughs) 5.30 on Saturday, the meeting of the two lowest scorers in the league. Um, Can we see anything other than a nil-nil? Do you know what? This is a massive game um, and, and don't laugh um, for both managers because we had a, a report from our newspaper colleague, Matt Law. Yes, I saw that. David Moyes under week, pressure. Exactly, suggesting that David Moyes under pressure. I was told just before the international break that Bruno Large is also coming under the spotlight once again at Wolves. In fact, I was told by one source that if Wolves lose this game against West Ham, then his head was firmly on the chopping block. So I think this is a, a big game for both managers, two teams who underwhelmed this season. Um, Wolves have played some very good football at times, and you'll probably have the XG stats, but they've not been able to translate that into goals. Well, their West XG Ham isn't great, 6.84. It's pretty poor, really, in comparison to most teams in the league. I mean, you know, Nottingham Forest have got a better XG than Wolverhampton Wanderers. Well, therefore, Bruno Large is not even being saved by the stats. So... Uh, I, I think there are problems there. Apparently, the players have become a little bit bored by his training regime. I think the fans at Molyneux have certainly become bored by his football. So keep an eye on that one. Uh, and West Ham, after two seasons of real positivity surrounding David Moyes, it hasn't taken long, has it, for a, a dark cloud, cloud to emerge over his head. They haven't been great so far this season. I think he's been too loyal to the players that served him so well. You look at the likes of Thomas Socek, who hasn't been the same player in midfield for a long time now. Even Mikel Antonio, his goals-to-game ratio in the last year or so has been really poor. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see if David Moyes does put his faith in some of those expensively assembled signings. Are you, are you comfortable with your medieval um, imagery that you conjure when you're talking about the snacking of manager? Head on the chopping block. Sounds a bit Henry VIII, doesn't it? It's a bit Put him on the rack. <laughs> sure, I like it. Sounds a bit gory. Um, Diego Costa has picked up more cards than goals since leaving Chelsea. Um, are Wolves wrong to pin their hopes on him rediscovering his form? Yes. I mean, that's, that says it all, really, doesn't it? I mean, how, how long is it before he's fit? And then even when he's deemed to be fit, he's got to get match fit. How many goals has he scored in the last couple of years? Well, it, it was really left field for me. I've got to be honest with you. I did not see that one coming. And as 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 good as he was in a in a Chelsea shirt, he can be divisive as well. 
you know, he's, he's, if he's not going to be happy, he will make things difficult behind the scenes. So that was a very, very much a strange one. And I, I really hope Bruno Large does well because I, I like his football. I remember doing the game for talk um, against Tottenham and they completely outplayed Spurs in the first half. But yeah, they didn't really create enough chances. It's, it's all about what you do in the boxes. It's cost to the man three, four years ago, maybe. Not really for me now, but, but West Ham... I cannot believe that we're talking about David Moyes after the two years he's had that he could be in, in trouble. And this just shows the absolute madness that is football management. But that's what it's like now, isn't it? You know, literally, I mean, I remember being reminded of our situation in the 90s where we would have managers that would stick around for four to five years on average. And that would be the case. And then Italy in Italy they would change manager every year and we were sort of almost yeah. sort of exposed to that because of football Italia and every time we watched a team there was a different manager in charge and that and we all thought that was absolutely bonkers but ultimately that kind of higher fire culture probably inspired by Chelsea early part of the 2000s whatever is firmly embedded into what we do in this country the average tenure for a, a championship manager is something like 13 14 months or something like that you know, you're you're in territory where we are in that managerial madness where everyone gets fired very, very quickly. And ultimately, that, I mean, I, I'll cite Watford as a prime example of the most bonkers football club in the country in terms of the way they hire and fire managers. They'll defend themselves and say, yeah, but we've been a yo-yo club and we weren't that before and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, they had so many years in the Premier League and they just about were clinging on and then they've dropped out and become a yo-yo club, actually, as a result of that. And the fans are all just dis, disenchanted. They just yeah. don't care anymore because ultimately, you know, there's nothing to hang your hat on. There's no figure to hang your hat on. And when when that becomes the case, when the fans start to lose the relationship with figures, because it's all personal relationships. Football is about the club, right? We know that. We all love the club. But ultimately, the club is made up of people. And there has to be icons, figures, people you celebrate, that you want to attach yourself to, whoever, whatever that is. And if you're bringing in a whole load of new players every five minutes and changing the coach every five minutes, then ultimately there's no one for you to hang your hat on. And then you become disenfranchised. You don't go to the games or you don't bother buying the shirt or whatever. And then it all falls down. I think, you know, owners need to understand that this is a short-termist. Look, let, let's let's touch on Chelsea there because it's a really good point. We haven't got enough time to go into it fully. But ultimately, it's about winning trophies if you can for, for a club like Chelsea or staying in the in the Premier League for a club like Watford. So I get that. But Chelsea fans have always kind of wanted, you talk about the people and the personalities, they've wanted to fall in love with a manager and stay in love with a manager. Yes. They've not been yes. able to do that. They were hoping that would be Jose Mourinho's second time around and it, and it wasn't to be. Owners need to understand that, and you have to look at it in an individual case-by-case -case basis. David Moyes has done nothing short of a sensational job at West Ham. And even a bad start to a season, even if you double the games, 14 games in, and, and they're, they're, they are where they are at the World Cup. This is a guy who, uh, for me, should have enough credit in the bank. Now, if you're later on in January and you're still in the bottom, then maybe things need to be changed. But at this moment in time, to be talking about that, you're right. Fans, and I've got a, a friend who's a Watford fan, he's so disillusioned at the moment because he can't get to like a manager because he's going to go off and get sacked every, every few months. It's just ridiculous. I understand the pressure from an owner's point of view. Stay in the Premier League. 
But at this moment in time, to be talking about this, especially with David Moyes, is just nothing short of ridiculous. Agreed. Uh, Fulham against Newcastle, 3pm Saturday. Alexander Mitrovic got 50 international goals faster than Messi and Ronaldo uh, in the week. He will have a point to prove against Newcastle, won't he, Crook? I think he's got a point to prove every time he steps out this season. But you're right, particularly against his former club. Uh, he's been in scintillating form. And actually, Newcastle probably have been underwhelming as well so far this season. I think their fans would have been hoping for better, obviously laboured to that draw against Bournemouth, which was a far better result for Eddie Howe's former club than his current one. But they have got some big players coming back from injury this weekend, none more so than Callum Wilson. I think they're a completely different team with him uh, at the spearhead. And I think this could be a, a really entertaining open game and I expect goals. When you say um, they've been uh, underwhelming, have they been underwhelming or unfortunate? Because they should have won more than the one game that they've currently posted. The Palace game, for example, their legitimate goal disallowed when they shouldn't have. The Liverpool game, I mean, they should have won that game. They were they were they had a goal chalked off for a very marginal offside, which I'm still unsure about. Which which would have been two 0 Then they the equaliser came for Liverpool in about the 978th minute. Um, so I, I do feel a little bit sorry for Eddie Howe and for Newcastle United that they're sitting in 10th having got 8 points on the board but probably knowing that they're, they're they're better than that and have been better than that so far this season in different circumstances to be further up the league um, no Alexander Isak for this game though which is a bit of an issue uh, for Eddie Howe and Fulham are missing João Polina yeah that's a big blow I've been really impressed with him I think he's been an excellent yeah, he's addition been brilliant. he's been their best signing yeah, I remember we had Jose Font on, on the boot room when he signed and he said, this lad is, is the real deal. He, he will tear it up in the Premier League. I think it was pretty much what Jose said and he's been proved right. I, I think Fulham have been brilliant so far. I've got to say, I'm not Marco Silva's biggest fan, but I think they've done really well. But you're flip-flopping on him now as well. He's going to be your best mate until he uh, messes <laughs> up and then all of a sudden you'll ditch him again like you did with Scott Parker. Don't like Scott Parker. He dresses in a nice suit. <laughs> And then he starts doing well. Oh, Scott Parker's done a brilliant job at Bournemouth. Then he starts losing. Oh, it's the cardigan. Um... <laughs> Sam, when it comes to crookie, all the heads eventually go on the, the chopping block, don't they? Oh, yeah. You, you've only friends for a certain amount of time with them. Yeah. Have you, have you, have you texted Scott, by the way? Are you still mates with him now? Or is it, is it all over, that little bromance? Listen, I like Scott. He's good. He's a good guy. Well, 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 yeah. Uh, that's uh, it. That's it. I have texted him, and he hasn't got back to me. Uh, 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 which well. is which is a Scott Parker trait, as we all know. Absolutely. Since it's except, yeah, be, 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 be. that's a good start, isn't it? <laughs> um, Southampton against Everton is a three p.m. Saturday game. Everton have uh, only lost twice in the seven Premier League games this season that they've played, um, and um, ha- have already beaten Crook into a hasty retreat. That big call has been reversed in what? Literally a month. What happens this weekend at St Mary's against the Leaky Saints? Come on, you can answer. You, you know, now I was waiting for, I think it's Scott's turn. Yeah, it's Scott's it? turn, but you, you're the one who battered Everton and now you're changing your mind, so go on. I think Saints have got a good record in this fixture against okay. Everton. They haven't got a good record at anything else. <laughs> There's talk that uh, Lavier is back in, in, in training. I don't know if this weekend will come too soon but I think he's been a big miss for Southampton while he's been away again I don't think you can really say with any certainty who's going to win this game I think Everton defensively are a lot tighter than they have been Southampton clearly aren't they seem to concede in every game and again if we're talking about managers under pressure going into the international break uh, I'm told that Ralph Hasenhutl is safe at this moment in time 
But if Southampton's form doesn't improve, if they can't find some consistency, then perhaps there could be a decision to make come November. Safe as a rabbit hutch. Indeed. Which is uh, a play on Hasenhutl's name translation uh, into English for those not aware. Okay. Okay. I didn't know that, so thank you. Hasenhutl is rabbit hutch, yeah. Um, (laughs) Mope, Cody Gay, I think they look stronger for the spine. Uh, Everton as a result of that I imagine that they'll get another draw uh, this weekend yeah. uh, Bournemouth against uh, Brentford Scott 3pm Saturday Brentford well beaten two weeks ago by Arsenal Bournemouth have showed a bit of character haven't they Gary's done really well hasn't he he's done superb and look I don't think he'll be given the job um, obviously Crookie knows exactly what's happening with the with the, the takeover he probably is taking over over the club himself but um what Gary is doing is he's putting himself for a great audition for another club, a sort of top end championship. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a really intelligent guy. I've worked with him when I was at Sky and you could see he was really sort of into the analysis, um, went up to Liverpool with the under 23s, doing what he's doing now. He, he's a guy who loves and breathes football. He's a very intelligent guy, football intelligent. And um, I, I think he's doing a great job in terms of, I don't think he's going to be here come the end of the season and, and even Christmas time if the takeover happens. I, I think a new man will be put in place quite soon. But I'm telling you now, watch out for him because he's he's, he's doing really, really well and it would be top-end championship. And I can see him getting the club up to, to the Premier League and being a Premier League manager that way. It's too early for him to be appointed. In terms of Brentford, um, I was so disappointed with them against Arsenal. Yeah. I mean, Arsenal controlled the game from minute one to minute 90. And you're thinking, this is a great opportunity. What happened first game of last season? Get in and at them again. And they couldn't even get the ball. And Ivan Tony, as as well as he's played, wasn't given any kind of service at all. Couldn't get involved in the game. So it's a real opportunity for for Thomas Frank to say, you need to bounce back after what was, for me, the worst performance of the season. That was a terrible performance. It's one of the worst performances I've seen Brentford put in at the community stadium since they uh, got promoted. And, but Arsenal were very good. They controlled the game brilliantly. They played the game in Brentford's half of the pitch. They barely allowed Brentford any possession at all in uh, their own half. So it was it was, it was was a masterclass. Both teams have scored in nine of Brentford's last 10 Premier League away games. Uh, I can see that continuing. Uh, but Bournemouth have got eight points from uh, their seven matches so far. And I tell you what, that is a good total for this stage of the season, especially for a team that everybody thought were going to be stranded at the bottom. They're very much on. See what happens after the weekend. Three live games on Talk Sports, starting with the North London Derby on Saturday. Kicks off at 12.30. We're on air from 11. And then straight after that on Talk Sport 2, it's Palace against Chelsea. Monday night football comes from the King Powers Stadium. It's Leicester against Nottingham Forest. Scott, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, Sam. Can I just say very quickly, yeah. um, meal on me if Harlan hits 50 goals, meal on you two for me if he doesn't. Yeah, I think that's fair. I'll take that right. bit. Have but, some courage in your convictions. But what happens, Scott, if Harlan gets 50 goals, so yeah. you have to buy us a meal. Yes. And Chelsea yes, I know. We've got that as well. Yeah. Two meals for you, Sam. It'll be a damaging, damaging season for the Scott Minto so Bank balance. Keep, but on the other hand... If we keep doing this and I keep winning all the bets, then I could probably have a week of Scott Minto meals. This could be good. Oh, you'd love that. I would. Let's go to Ibiza and do it. <laughs> all right. Okay, we're off now. Uh, probably to Ibiza. Um, we'll see you on the weekend. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who's downloaded the podcast. Keep doing so. Remember, the Monday edition is always on YouTube. If you'd like to watch it, just search Game Day Podcast from Talk Sport. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh, jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.